Hey, what's up, Mr. Miami? I am the newest member of the Freestyle Club. Tell that one more time. Sure. This is Mr. Miami, and I am the newest member of the Freestyle Club. That that didn't sound like you at all. Do that one more time. <laughs> That's my DJ voice. <laughs> this is Mr. Miami, and I'm the newest member of the Freestyle Club. One more time. Slower. What do you What do you want me to? Okay. This is Mr. Miami, and I'm the newest member of the Freestyle Club. I was just kidding. You got it on the first take. Warning. Freestyle Club contains adult language. It is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This is Freestyle Club with your hosts, the unknown admin, Rafael Reyes, and CPR, Jose Ortiz. Hello and welcome. Welcome to another edition of the Freestyle Club. My name is CPR Jose Ortiz, and I'm joined by the unknown admin, Rafael Reyes. What's good, you bastards? And joining us on the third chair, we have a guy with a resume so long that I had to write everything down. The man behind uh, DMA Magazine and the Freestyle Reviews in the mid-90s part of the uh, Women Extreme Wrestling and the Urban Wrestling Federation and could find him on Freestyle is Not Dead. We welcome Steve, Mr. Miami O'Neill. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me uh, a part of the show today. Oh, wait, wait. Welcome to the club. I, I forgot. And on the second page, also uh, <laughs> Gecko Records, which we'll be discussing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember oh, that. that thing. That little I, thing. Yeah. I remember that. He named everything else for that. <laughs> We are here to ask that very important question. Can we have an honest conversation about G.I. Ho from Women Extreme Wrestling, probably the most popular woman in WXW history? Is that correct, sir? It's Women's Extreme Wrestling. But before that, it was Dangerous Women Wrestling. And before that, we were actually Glow with two O's. So it, it's, a, it's a long, complicated story that will be told one day when, when I have time. But um, but yes, G.I. Ho was one of our main stars, homemade talent uh, that we developed. She was a, an exotic dancer at one time with some athletic talent and uh, combined both worlds together. And we created this... Uh, cult phenomenon uh she you know she was something special as far as uh, you know in that realm so at one point in time another person attempted to impersonate gi ho miss garcia and uh, we won't mention her first name but uh she appeared as gi ho at one of your events so in wrestling uh, as you know uh jose that um it's called a work and it's part of a show and and basically she was a great talent and uh I saw Miss Garcia one day, and I'm like, "Oh my God, you look like somebody that I know." And, and I have an idea, and I and she's like, "Well, it sounds crazy." And she came down to a show we did in Philadelphia. The original GIO was not available; she was no longer interested in doing wrestling. And I'm, I had a little spot that could, you know, move the meter a little bit with the crowd, maybe draw some people, some you know, tease like that the original GIO was going to be there because if it was done right. And to this day, and until I'm saying this on this show, her friends from back then are still upset with her because she didn't say hello to them in the locker room. That we brought her, we we brought her out as a surprise, and we rushed her out. We rushed her out as soon as the spot was done. It was a lights out, so the building lights go out. The, she's in the. She gets carted to the ring. She's out. She does a spot with it. I think we do some with a chair, and uh, which I'll, I'll eventually put the video. The video has never been released, but the spot goes on. It's over. The crowd goes crazy. Lights go back out. My security rushes around because I don't want to no one know that we're you know we're pulling a showbiz stunt. 
some smoke and mirrors, if you will. And like I said, I, I got a lot of complaints, you know, people hot at the end of the night about, I can't believe she didn't come back here. Who does she think she is? And I'm like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> hey, you so you had to explain it, huh? No. I just said, I just said, no, because, see, that's the one thing in wrestling. And, and Jose watches a lot of wrestling, so he understands where, you know, that's the part of wrestling. It's, you know, 99% of it is, is, is pre-planned. Look, there, real injuries happen, real blood happens. But if you can make the audience for just a percent just buy into something, that could be real or that's real, right? Because there are things that go on sometimes that go off script and, and it is real. And, and that's the beauty of, you know, you fool the audience or, you, you know, you not fool, but you get them to, to buy into what you're doing. But with, with, with wrestlers, if you, can get, if you can get the wrestler and entertainer to buy in, it's even a bigger like pat on your back to be like, good job, you know. You don't normally do what I did, but sometimes you just take a shot. To compare it, we can only compare it to the Undertaker versus the Undertaker angle, where uh, we had uh, one real Undertaker and one you know, fake Undertaker, one real G.I. Ho and a fake G.I. Ho. And right. I guess we'll leave it at that. This is the Freestyle Club. <laughs> Topic of the week. Let's talk freestyle. freestyle. This week's topic of the week is hot productions. And the man joining us this week, Steve, Mr. Miami O'Neill, knows a lot about hot productions. Tell me how you got involved with hot productions, Steve. My brother, Mike, uh, aka Rockhead, he's like, we need to start our own label up. This is when you know, Tasmania, the Viper, uh, Willie started his stuff. And I'm like, uh, I really didn't want to do it. Um, I was dabbling into music production. I got to hang out with the guys from Tasmania, but more importantly, I got to really hang out with Morano, Adam Morano, um, to go over to his house and watch him do the Viper stuff. And you know, at the time, I'm writing for, I think I was writing for DMA. That's how I, you know, came friends with Adam, um, because you know, at a point, you know, everybody uses everybody at a point. You know, um, it's networking. You know, Adam gave me some great uh, opportunities where I got to do the Viper Mega Mixes. It's probably the biggest thing I ever did in my my music career so far has been like the Viper Mega Mixes, especially the first one. Uh, I'll be loving you on it. You know, being able to hang around them and becoming friends with them, my brother's like, you know, we, we need to have our own label. And I recorded Topaz. We did Dreary Day. We did a license to deal with Tolga and Summit, which I would love to be able to put all my stuff out with Tolga. I, you know, I'm a big Tolga mark. Uh, his production and style has been a heavy influence, you know, in my entire life from, from DJ to production. And we licensed Dreary Day to, to Summit. And then I think for soon after we started Gecko. And I shopped some stuff around to some people. And, you know, no one was really biting. And, and um, look, I had the greatest stuff or anything. I taught, you know, that's the one thing I taught everything myself i taught how you know how to play keyboards i learned i just learned from watching adam and and, and federici in the studio and then like we did a, a record late 80s called take my love it was our first record otl was the name of the group which was stand for on the loose and the reason i even got that name was from the carlos berrios record the, the jasmine on the loose so we took it otl and then people made fun of us called us out to lunch and stuff like that and <laughs> so i meet this guy i'm djing at a bar and a nightclub on sunday nights and they would 
their rock band, cover band, and they would play um, Wilding by Tone Loop. So I started mixing in my headphones, push it, salt and pepper. So then one day I decided to get the balls up and I just went live with it and boom, there it goes. Anyway, long story short, the one guy in the band has a, a studio. Uh, kind of looks like Stevie B a little bit. Well, it's Stevie B, but so we go to the studio in Trenton. Uh, Hamilton area. I spent like fourteen hundred bucks on a demo. Every week we went back. You know, I just said to my brother, "Want to do a record one day?" And met a guy, an engineer there, Jamie Tresh, who works at Q one hundred two. He's probably the only original person who still works at Q one hundred two to this day in Philly. And Jamie's like, "Listen, you guys might want to think about pre production." And we're like, "What's that?" And that's how we got the keyboards. That's how the whole Gecko thing even came about. So then we're shopping this stuff around, some some demos, and. Um, I heard stories about it. I mean, I've read Hitmakers or Hit Hitman or whatever. Uh, the, I don't know if either one of you guys read that book, but basically it's like the mob and Paola and there's Henry Stone in there who's like the owner of Hot Productions and TK Disco and all these crazy stories. I mean, crazy stories about, you know, ripping artists off and all that stuff. And I'm like, uh, just my brother, I'm like, you know, let's look, we're probably the same as a lot of guys. We're like, all we need is one record. That's all you need. You can live up one record. We see that now for this thing, you know. You know, so Paul, so Paul's like, you know, I'll give you a small advance or whatever. And those, advancing... those advances uh, in hot productions, those are the killer. That's the the reason why, in my opinion, freestyle is dead. Because those advances, man, everybody and anybody can get that advance, and they were giving those contracts away very, very easy. It was like the first and last you are ever going to see from hot productions was when you signed that. You know, when you got that advance, I might have got like two royalty statements out. I, I think I put like I don't know ten CDs out of them. I might have got like three or four statements tops you know from my entire time with them i could you know look look I, i'm a different kind of guy thinking uh i think a little differently actually i think a lot differently than a lot of people i was looking i was looking at hot as you know launch point you know and and but i gotta be honest with you back then this might make sense to people i wanted to be the man but not be the man meaning i wanted to have certain things but i didn't want to have to do certain certain other things like for example uh just kind of stuff we were talking you guys were talking about a few weeks ago with what Artie was talking about with you know being your own brand getting out there and doing the work not look everyone wants to just show up and perform you know go do the music write the songs produce the beats you know the keyboards all that all that stuff okay that's part of the job the next part is even the harder part is it's selling your stuff. And the reason that I think that I find that people don't want to do that is, and and, then, and they won't even admit it. And I can understand why to, to say, I, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be a failure. I get it. But in this world, whether it's music or comedy or acting or your own lawn business or whatever, you have to put yourself out there. This is the Freestyle Club. To give a little introduction of Hot Productions, you know, 1989, they had Bianca Records with uh, artists like Seventh Heaven and Rocco and Cherokee. In 1989, they introduced Hot Apple with Tony Marino, Toga, and Jerry Biggs. 1993, I think, is where they hit it really big with Tasmania Records because they had volumes one through four. And I think that's when Freestyle really returned. And they introduced Yonda, Stephanie Bennett, Miguel Reyes, Payne, Sammy C. And then later on, you would see that that the quality of the contracts were getting very loose when it came to uh, Hot Productions. And then you would see labels like Tango and Luna and East Coast and uh, NTB, Detour, Idolmakers, and all these people that were just getting these distribution deals with uh, Hot Productions and this uh, advance that in the beginning was about $5,000. And then through time, it just kept on declining and declining and declining until it became $500. They looked at it like comic books almost. You know, I remember Paul Klein saying basically, uh, you know, it's going to keep putting stuff out. 
you know, because people are just gonna they're just gonna keep buying. They're just gonna keep buying. Gonna, and I was like, mm, like when we did Gecko, like if you can go back, and I don't, I can't say this for a hundred percent fact, but I'm, I'm almost positive. If you go back to like when we put the Gecko Volume One out. I was like, I was like hell bent. I'm like, I, I'm like, you know what? Because one of the problems with freestyle is people don't know the names of the artists, let alone names of the song, and they definitely don't know what they look like. So I'm like, I'm gonna put artists in, on their pictures and stuff. And I think I feel like we were like one of the first groups to start doing that. We were one of the first groups to actually have a, a website. It wasn't our, I didn't know anything about the web, but I we had a site. It was a wpmusic.com/gecko. I paid like I don't know, hundred bucks for the year. This is when like the internet. This is when like Larouche, the, the freestyle nation chat room was going, and yeah. you know things were starting back back in the early days. And I'm like, we have to have a website. Like, we were one of the first freestyle. It wasn't our own website. Like, we didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, technology, we didn't know the technology. But I'm like, I think this internet thing is going to be a pretty big thing. Um, and I think it's something. And my brother's like, I don't know if we should waste 100 bucks on it. You know, we don't really have that much money to begin with. You know, because Mike was, my brother was the main guy who really would help, you know, like get things financed. He'd, you know, we'd, we'd, he'd work extra jobs or, you know, he'd always be doing some kind of side hustle, like uh, doing a keg party in the woods or like, uh, you know, picked apples today, to, you know. Let me ask the unknown admin a question. Ralph, when did you become familiar with hot production? Oh man, that had to be towards the end of when um, I was phasing out of freestyle, kind of more into house, reggae and that, that type of music, because I think back, in the early 90s is when they went to sound scan so you wasn't hearing dance music you know forget about freestyle dance music altogether was gone from the radio yeah. so you know you still hear in the clubs but you know by then you know we were listening to you know um all kinds of other music so I mean, freestyle you know was always there but it wasn't there as much at least for me because as, as a dj you, you play different formats and so freestyle by then was already on the decline for me. Yeah, and I agree. It was only until 1993 when I first started CPR's Clubhouse, uh, the radio show at 103.5 in, in Massachusetts, that when I started receiving the Tasmania record stuff and they started putting stuff out on CD, and for me, I rejected the CD. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm vinyl. I'm vinyl all the way, you know? And so, but, but when going to the music center and getting volume one, and immediately they already had churned out volume two, it was two volumes of pure freestyle where most of the songs on those compilations were really well done especially volume number two and volume number two was amazing on Tasmania because they had Pure Pleasure, Sammy C. It had so many great songs on that Tasmania Volume 2 that you had no choice but to start playing uh, these songs from these compilations. And I was elated at the fact that I started this new radio show and I was featuring new freestyle that people were actually going to the music center to buy after listening to Clubhouse Dance Music and CPR's Clubhouse, which were separated back then. And it was two different shows. And they would go in and purchase those CDs, which to me was crazy because I was a final guy. No, Jose, uh, let me, do you seen the favor, and I'm, and if, if I'm mistaken, just correct me, but your favor Tasmania, like first Viper, would you take, you were taking Tasmania over Viper Records? I would say that Viper is the most successful, and to this day, that guy is probably cashing checks. Go ahead, finish your story. I, if you want to learn more, little, I, I'll give you a little more information about them if you want, but. Yeah, of course, we go. want, that's what you're here for, sir, you're the expert. Okay, okay. You're on that, you're on that third chair, uh, you know? All right. I was just curious, because like you said, you, you, you talk about Tasmania a lot, and, and, and I agree with you i think the earlier editions of of tasmania were better than the later ones and that's a bit of the lineup i just think this they were just in a better spot when they when they started and i think as time went on i think because of those advances and the checks they just started cranking it out like let's just almost the same thing with, with viper the cookie cutting stuff 
You know, they just gotta keep getting volumes out. That was that was the the game. Yeah, if you listen to Viper Records, it's the same melody for every vinyl for the most part, and every compilation is it starts off the same. It's the same keys, the same. You could write the same song for each individual production of Viper for the most part, and it's the same thing. It's this la di da di da flow, and nobody kind of caught on to it back then, but you still played all those songs and you still wrote it put them on rotation i mean for me back in 93 when i was first starting out it was viper and and then a little bit after tasmania i i love all the faces of uh adam morano even though in the later parts of his career we kind of you know started uh to walk away from his style of, of freestyle but we can't say that he can't be credited for being one of the pioneers of getting that movement back on the radio because collage i'll be loving you was in fact one of the greatest songs to ever hit commercial radio that is freestyle so we can't discredit that but then after that you have uh, all these different uh freestyle songs that came out uh, through viper on metropolitan that just kept on getting cheesier and cheesier by the moment and then here comes this tasmania records and they introduce pure pleasure sammy c miguel reyes yanda gina lanzi all these different artists and then they had the pictures in the back uh, of the record where you see like oh man look stephanie bennett she looks really pretty. We got to support her because she looks really pretty. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? We laugh, but, but serious. It's the same thing for Angelina or Jocelyn Enriquez. It's like, these are hot girls, you know. Let's let's give them a little rub, you know. Let's, let's, let's play these records, you know. So to circle back to Hot Productions, I give them the credit for bringing Freestyle back. But I also give them the credit for killing it. Let me give you an example. We had a store here in Connecticut named Mr. Musica. I remember getting charged from that store. Mr. Musica was the type of store that you give him a product and he can move hundreds and hundreds of units from that particular spot. So he would get the Tasmania records one through four. Uh, as a matter of fact, this was one of the first areas that brought Tasmania to do their first concert with Bobby Delante and, and Stephanie Bennett and a bunch of others from Tasmania. But Mr. Musica started with all these quality freestyle compilations. And then a few years later, he was shut down and he was gone because, you know, he had to lie. He would get a bunch of product from Hot Productions who would give him a good deal. But then he started churning out all these bad compilations so it went from getting compilations with a half a dozen good songs to getting compilations with nothing that's redeemable and that's what kept on being pumped out and then he kept on getting all these returns so people just stopped buying and that's the unfortunate part it also goes to some of the things that i warned people about when it came to the new england record labels which we'll discuss after maybe at another episode a lot of the stuff that hot production gave uh the freestyle community is what started them going to the stores to purchase and then stopped them from going back to purchase in a few years. Uh, I, I like I like your train of thought. I think uh, I never really thought of it like that, but I, I agree with what you said. Um, you know, they, they, they were responsible for so many and the, the, the quality control after a period of time just went away. So... Yeah. But some of it, it wasn't just them. There were there were other producers, legit producers that were creating alter egos and, and fake labels just to pump out comps to get paid on those. Yes. It, it wasn't just them. There was, I mean, that was going on with real producers that were creating just comps to get paid. You know, the quality wasn't there either for those. I understand the, the alter egos like Tommy Dick, which was a, a name that a couple of producers used because they were putting out a compilation and all they wanted to do was just put crappy songs on there and set it to hot for the advance. 
when the advance was five thousand dollars, I'm like, hey, I could make a cool five thousand. It doesn't matter what I put on the compilation. They're gonna get it and take it and sell it. So you know, they started selling these compilations for five thousand dollars. And after a while, when Hot Productions numbers started dwindling, they started decreasing the advance. But it was still good enough for people to be like, let me get this, um, let me get this uh, eight track cassette that I found on the bottom of my bed, and, and let me <laughs> let me clean it up, and I'm gonna send it to to Hot Productions. There were times where they would modify the person's voice or it would be the same artist like nine times and they would do that just because they wanted to get that advance and i can stick up for them by saying that if somebody's giving you a few grand and you're a producer and the work is not coming to you it's easy to get this anywhere between two and five grand from hot productions i'm gonna go ahead and take it you know this goes to the thing about you know being creative uh, and really getting behind your projects and, and creating them first the business of music like you know it's I listen as as uh, we're all freestyle supporters and we've done this and that but the, the bottom line is is it's a business and if someone's gonna pay somebody to do that then they can do that now there's a vicious cycle exactly what you just laid out happens and then the genre kind of goes away because of these lower quality productions or duplicate stuff so it's sad in a way but it's just a very weird dynamic. Um, is it is it right for that person to be able to go make those records and sell them? I mean, there's no law against that. No one's forcing anybody to buy them, you know. So eventually, you know, they they abuse the system and it goes away. And and we can't say that was the only reason that it went away, but it definitely played into the part of the of the demise of the of the genre. You know, yes, it's still there in some facet right now. But look, look in the um, mid '90s, you know, mid to late '90s, that's when I started to fade out from the entire scene altogether. As far as not just producing, but you know, even people playing the records, there, there wasn't a lot of good records anymore. You know, and the, dude, don't get me wrong, I played a lot of crappy records, and I'm not even saying they're crappy. You know, in the respect that we look back now as adults and and being more mature and, and learning stuff, we look back and say, eh, maybe the records aren't that great. But I always say, who's the person that says this song? good or not good because i mean i did that at one time but I, it's not my yeah to, role to let say me that. ask you a question about that did you ever have an issue with the fact that you were yes. That, yes. that you you were reviewing <laughs> compilations and cds and 12 inches and, uh, and a bunch of songs on dma magazine but you were also churning out gecko records and so did, was there like a conflict of interest or anybody calling you to the table because i get that now no because if you go back and look at the dma magazines and i and i'm just to the best of my knowledge and, and you'll know you might know because if you, you have a good memory i didn't really shill the gecko records like i should have because Again, I was almost, and I don't want to use the word ashamed, but I didn't want the rejection. Like, you know, it was like, uh, I, when you put something out, you want everybody to like it or love it or whatever. So if you go back to DMA Magazine, I don't really think I shield like where I would highlight like uh, the, re I might mention it, just like I mentioned everything else. I don't think I ever went overboard in my stuff and be like, this is the best record of all time. You have to buy, you know, Fabiano. Blah, blah. I don't think I ever did that where I did that to stuff that I did like, you know, whether it was Murano or, or some Tasmania stuff like, you know, Stephanie Bennett or pure pleasure or whatever or or anybody else uh you know from from around the country that i that you know i got in you know people love to read the com because you know i was i was like the howard center freestyle i just said whatever was on my mind you know jose you were kind of the same way with doing your shows where you would always you know bump heads i think we, we bumped heads back in the day you know just with just our personalities and what you liked what i was doing or whatever the case could be but here we are with dma magazine yet i don't think that i that i showed my stuff to the best of my knowledge i, I don't remember that look people love the com 
while. It was entertaining. I did say some stupid and crazy shit sometimes. But in, on the other hand, I was just a reviewer and was my opinion. I had people that came to me like I was with a music conference. You should have the freestyle panel over here. They stopped doing it. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write this guy and I'm going to. We're gonna try to get a freestyle thing, and and I actually put one together. I got I had like Jerry Salerno on there, Morano flew down, um, Mickey Garcia. There was you know there was, there was a few other people on the panel, but during the panel I get a girl from Micmac, uh, Josefa, I don't remember her last name, and she tried to like say, well you said this and this, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean I did, and you know looking back it's like you know yeah I was kind of that's kind of an asshole move, but I got to say that I think I made up for it a little bit. Both you guys know uh, or have seen you know over the last you know, 15, 20 years, I'm still doing these small freestyle shows. Dude, I give the stage to people that probably shouldn't be on the stage. I look at it now like, who am I, you know, to not I have stage time? Why don't I give them an opportunity? You know, like, they're going to find their way, whether whether they're good or whether they're bad, they're either going to get better or they're going to stop. And that's what I started to do with the stage and, you know, with whether it was DJs or performers, you know, they want to, you know, open up the shows. I would try to book like a TKA or, you know, Stevie B or whatever. And then I would always try to load up the show with artists that aren't known, but are decent. They're like, I like them as people. They're cool. Like yeah. the Pains and the Stephanie Bennett and the Pure Pleasures back in the day. Like, you know, it's funny. Uh, time flies because uh, we did a, a pain show two years ago with like, we put like a little band together and Gennaro says, you know, you know, you're the first person to book this 25 years ago. Those are the same stories that we share here as well. You know, the reason why I asked you that question in regards to Gecko Records and you shilling your brand is because I got scared myself that I was attempting to do the same, manage my own artists and put out my own content uh, to the point where you are afraid to push your brand because people will talk favoritism. And that sucks sometimes, you know? You do have some people that are uh, that you represent that do have talent and you want them to rise to, to the top and, and have that opportunity. Uh, it happened here with Adelise when I managed her and we put out her first song. It happened internally with within the artists that are on the label and it happened with the people that you surround yourself with and that are in the area trying to do the same thing. I will say this, everybody here had a click and every radio station had a specific brand that they were pushing back in the 90s. I understand what you're saying. Could you be a conscious of interest? Maybe, I don't know. But let's say this, but dude, I don't know your whole situation, but I, if I have to guess, and I, like I said, I don't know, and if I'm wrong, then you can say, correct me if I'm wrong. You probably work for free. You do this because you love it. And all that time, dude, Okay, you love everybody, you're supporting them, whether, whether they liked you or not, or you were being a dick or whatever the case would be, you you were playing records for everybody else. You have to find a way to, to take care of yourself, too. So, like, maybe back then I might have been like, that's fucked up, he's playing his own record. But you had the, that wasn't the only reason that you were doing it. You've always done it. You're still doing it. You were, you're doing it when you weren't doing music, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's like almost like, um, okay, perfect example. Uh, in the 90s somewhere, we did, uh, I went and bought, airtime on boss 97 which is a, a p2 station down to the jersey shore in the summertime the station was kicking you know and they used to play some freestyle to play top 40 and stuff i bought like monday nights at midnight like midnight to two you know we would go in before and then we did the deal and all that stuff we got sponsors we had um hoagie places we had uh we had labels polygon studios tasmania viper they all gave us check and i played the records and they set us down we did a rotation I don't think I I don't think I ever played in like the eight or ten weeks we were on. I don't even think I played a gecko record. And we had the record label at the time. I don't even think it was because of scared, dude. I, I think for me, it might have been. Like I said, there was definitely anxiety. There was definitely that like someone's like, I didn't even play like, I didn't play our records a lot at the at the clubs and bars. And there were times I was working five, six, seven nights a week. But I wouldn't even push my own shit. I'm not done. I'm not done, dude. Like I want I still want the one. But I, I, I have other things going on, man, you know, and and uh, you know, like this whole this conversation is a great conversation because it kind of leads into 
you know, where I'm starting to go with my next project, you know, as far as the history of all this stuff, because you have a lot of knowledge, because I said you've been doing this a long time, like myself, where you have a very good grip and angle to see what was going on with the hot productions thing. Paul Klein and Henry Stone and Joe Stone and uh, Rama, as much as I was mad at them through the years for different things, for neither not getting paid or not getting on rules, <laughs> they gave me an opportunity. I got a chance to do something, you know, and that, and that's what I've always said. Like, I, I appreciate the, of the opportunity to do stuff and that I know that if, that if and when the day comes, I ever do it again. I know what I'm going to do different. I know I'm going to do it this time. And I think that this show, your show, the Freestyle Club, every week's been, I love it. I listen, as soon as it comes out, I listen to it like pretty much right away. I always text Ralph, uh, you know, put a comment up because I think the conversation is good. Yes, you can have a conversation about freestyle. Everyone's not always going to be happy. In fact, right now, I'm talking about on my on my personal page about this freestyle show that happened at Wells Fargo this past Saturday. I've heard, you know, I heard some, some people talking about, you know, singers off key, not happy with the show, sloppy. I just asked people, like, you know, what's your opinion? Because I wasn't there. Some people's like, yo, you do enough of this or whatever. And I'm like, no, not enough. We're having a conversation. You have to understand, these artists charge a lot of money now, a lot more than what they ever charge. And the thing is, the houses are going down. The houses aren't going up. It costs money to do these things. And what's going to happen is these people are going to outprice themselves where they're not going to have these shows anymore. That's what's going to happen. And if they keep performing and singing off key, and look, look, they can have off nights. I have off nights DJing or hosting. I mean, Ralph, you said when I, <laughs> I sent you the, the one podcast I did with the Sergio interview you're like I didn't know you DJed and I'm like well, why you're like yeah, yeah you I've never some... seen you because uh, to your credit you've given other DJs the stage on your events you know yeah when, I, when you used to come down to Route 1 I was always running around I was like okay DJing I'm only going to make so much money so then I started doing flyers and house promotion and I'm like okay so then I got like I got like 10% of the bar like people thought I owned Route 1 because the owner allowed me to be fluid and to give out some drinks and like I wasn't going crazy or shit but people were like you own this place I'm like no I don't I don't own it like, and they think I, to this day I think they still think I own it I never owned the place man but I was just trying to do something. I, I, I was trying to make more money, and I was trying to, like, uh, if I put two different DJs on, maybe those DJs can bring five or ten people. And if I have, uh, you know, these opening acts, I'm like, look, you have to try to bring some people, man. Like, I, you know, I'll give you the stage time, like, five, ten minutes, whatever. Can you bring ten people at least? Like, help the night. And that's what I was That's what I was doing. Stupid, dumb, whatever. It was just an angle I was trying. No, just, I think it was smart. Yeah, well, it was good. I, but, I mean, it, but, it, but it didn't work. <laughs> Uh, well, I like the fact that, you know, every time I went, there was a different DJ. And, you know, and some DJs, you know, some DJs had the skill level and some really didn't. And some cleared the floor. But there was one that I really liked, the technicians. If it wasn't that fact that you had these rotating DJs, you had video yeah. DJs. You know, I've never seen a DJ mixing uh, freestyle videos. Freestyle. Yeah, yeah. That was D so DJ, I, I mean, wheel. and DJ that's, Wheels. Know, and that's complicated because, you know, first you have to have a, a song with a video. And then, you know, that's it. That's your playlist. Any song yep. that has a video, that's the only thing you can play as a video DJ, right? Yep, yep. So, you know, that was complex, and I love that. But, you know, the, again, you know, like you said, it was hit and miss. Some DJs were really good, and I was impressed, and I was like, hey. And then there was other nights where the DJ just didn't have it. He had a bad night. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even, like, now, like, we did, I did the show, the Philly Freestyle Summer Jam, whatever, in June, and we had Deneen and, and some other, Stephanie Bennett. I really didn't have fun, man, because I was, I'm really trying to tighten up. I'm like, there's some things I'm trying to do. So I'm really trying to tighten up the ship, and I was running around like a man, man. I didn't even change into my outfit, and I just wanted to make sure everything ran smooth. And and the thing is, uh, anyone who knows me and sees me do it, I try to do everything. I try not to put anything on anybody else, and I just try. I wanted to be perfect, and it's not always perfect, but like I want to make sure nothing goes wrong. And I want, and but honestly, like that night, I would have just loved the DJ for like an hour, <laughs> just to really be able to just to DJ. I haven't really. There's been a few times at Ben's Warmers, we're doing, we had a small place in Philly that we're doing that I was able to DJ a little bit. I'm actually thinking about September doing just a DJ night where I just 
kind of I just DJ like because I really don't get a chance to do that and that's what that's part of my soul like but the problem is, is like uh jose was so gracious with my intro for my resume i i'm doing everything i love to do yeah, you wear you know, a like, lot of hats that's the thing yeah i wear a lot of hats and, and i and but the problem is, is like so like to make the money i got to make sure that we have people in the building i got to make sure you know the bartender has machine like so it's like i don't have we don't look you guys know freestyle music in general we don't there's not a whole lot of money to be made and that's stuff we're doing unless you're doing big shows. But then if you're doing big shows, you have a big budget out and you have to have bigger rooms. And the bigger rooms may not do what smaller rooms like you to do. It's it's like so people Steve, always say, you should, let me you should you. do this. Or you should do that. You should do this. You yeah, should do that. I'm like, exactly. you should put your own money up. Put your own money up. <laughs> put your own money up. And when you're, when you're, you want to do. There's been decisions, things I've had to do that it's uncomfortable. But like, you know. Every time that a show happens for freestyle, we have a Monday morning quarterback telling you what you uh, should yeah. have done. And it happens yep. so often. Every time that somebody gets an opportunity to, to attempt to tell you behind the keyboard what you should have done when uh, they don't know anything that, that comes with the responsibility of putting on a show, making sure that people get there, but only also the artists. You have to sometimes pull teeth to get the artists to promote the show that they're on, that you're paying them for. And it's not just a lot. Like, hey, dude, like, if you have phone, if you have a Facebook or Twitter, whatever, can you, like, I always tell people, like, I don't need you to promote the show a day before the show or the day of the show. What we need is when we start 90 days out or six or 60 days out or whatever, and I start posting, look, I post a lot and I get it. I don't need you to post as much as I do, but I mean, it is your shit. I mean, who promotes you the way, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't promote yourself, how do you really want people to, and, and this goes for the, the big artists too, man, to be honest for you. You know, some some of the artists are just, they're lazy, selfish. We don't know what they've been through. They've been through the ringer. They had bad experiences. Some of them are just doing it just because they can do it and they get the money. I can't blame them. I mean, dude, you guys are both, we've all heard horror stories, how they were treated how they were fleeced. It, it happened for years. It wasn't just one or two times it got dicked over. And and but, and, and again, and I'm going to put devil's advocate and people hate when I do this, but again, them artists didn't have a gun to their head because they had to sign a contract, take a check or whatever. Right, we had a discussion about some yeah. artists and some labels and stuff. And, and, I, and I said, look, no one, I'm, I'm, I, and I, you know, this producer or record owner is an evil Dr. Evil. You know, he's the bad guy. In the world of what we live in today, there's so much opportunity to do and to not and to forget that stuff. Stop living there and do what you use what you did for today. Do you think that high productions created a lot of uh, fake legends where they, they should be asking for 10 grand a show? Let's brainstorm a second for a second here, guys. Did Hot Production really ever get behind besides maybe Stephanie, not Stephanie Bennett, but Stephanie? Like, did they actually got behind and made a, a mega artist? I think one. Miguel Reyes Jr. Miguel Reyes Jr. is one that was played on B96 Chicago. In this area, is the only song that we really got behind every radio but station that played freestyle. Why, why, why did you get behind it? I was going through a breakup at the time, and I, I think there was there was one <laughs> okay. there was one particular Saturday because my show was on Saturdays from six in the morning to three in the afternoon, where I just played the record over and over again because of my breakup. But I, I digress. I think that people got behind the song and. Miguel Reyes because they felt it. It was a song that at that time resonated with them. What ended up happening is that people that were booking shows in this area, Miguel Reyes. And so, you know, he made money here. I know that. He made money in Chicago. And so I think that he's the only real successful one for a while. He had a great run for a few years from the Tasmania Records brand right. and um, Hot Production. From my perspective, though, I would say none. Not to the level of a George Lamont, Julie exactly. Torres. Jose, you did like a technicality. So like you, I, I said Hot Productions. So like the song... 
Miguel Rio as an artist resonated with you, but did Hot Productions actually get behind that artist? And did they pay radio promoters? Did they buy advertising? I'm going to probably say most likely not. I don't know for a fact. I got free but records. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the song wasn't good. The question was, what artist did Hot Productions bring to the table to a huge status? And like I said, the only freestyle one I really can remember, Drums of Love, but again, that wasn't a mega selling artist. See, like a Miguel Riaz was on a, a sub-label, like a Tasmania or like a Gecko or whatever. Like, look, Adam Reynolds was on Hot Productions. Stevie B was on Hot Productions, you know what I'm saying? So, Tony Marino, I'm saying, Toga. Tony, oh, like, yeah, I mean, all these guys. So what artists, though, did actually Hot make? You know what I'm saying? As far as freestyle-wise, like, uh, did they make a freestyle legend? But they gave Miguel Riaz and, and, and many others a platform to be out there because they did service record pools. They did service radio stations. And like I said, I'm sure they did pay some radio promoters on... Like I, I know Drums of Love was getting a push, and you know Q102 wasn't just playing a record because they liked the record. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the Hot Productions machine—that's what it really was. It was—it's a sales machine. It's—it's it's a catalog. You know, back when we got on Hot, you know, when we went down to the to the office and stuff, and they showed us all the the, the oldies catalog. They're still licensing and making money on to this day. Yeah, they own everything now. I, you have Judy Torres mm -hmm. on there, Adam Morano. You have AB, who remade all mm -hmm. the TKA songs. And uh, you have a Little Susie. They even own CPR's Clubhouse Freestyle Badness, the original. They own that specific compilation. They own AVP Records. They own Luna, East Coast, Idolmakers, Tango, Primetime, Detour, the, the Nasty Boys Project. We could go on and on. Toga's Project and a host of others. They even have Stevie B's greatest hits on there where they re-recorded their vocals, which wasn't that good, but uh, and a lot of re-releases. And to this day, you know, they have a new name, of course. Wonder why that is. Well, of course. <laughs> we all know the reason. Uh, but the question to you was, did they make these uh, legends or, or people that feel that they're legends now because they had a song back in 1996-97 that at that time was being played? Uh, because I see that a lot now, and I think that they are the reasons why they don't get booked. Uh, because they don't want to so take... They don't want to take $300 for a show. They want 1000 Hot Productions as a vehicle. They've given opportunities. That, you know, it, it's a Look, we all lose track of this. It's a music business. Perfect example of what you just said with the artists. You know, they don't want to take $300. You know, they want this. In Philadelphia, there's only a few spots that do shows. First off, and I don't know anybody does small shows like me. What happens usually is I start doing shows, and then you start seeing some people pop up and do them, and they stop doing them. And why is that? Because there's no money to be made. Uh, what, you, what you say, it, the artist demands is one of the greatest factors to putting on a, a show, their pay scale or whatever. Is that the biggest hindrance to putting on a show, a freestyle show in these small venues? Sure. So it's like this. It's like, so I've been doing this for a long time. I have a pretty good idea of what we're going to draw with artist X. You know, I'll shoot them an offer or they'll, they'll say what they want. And then I'll say, well, this is the reality of the world that I live in. For example, like bench warmers only hold 75 people. Here's how much money can be made. You know, you got to win. I got to, can I, can I have a little bit of taste? Why do I do this? I do this. I like to make money. Yes. But look, guys, just like Jose, you didn't just do it for 22 years because you're getting rich off of freestyle. You do it because you like it. Same thing you, Raph. All the stuff you did on the internet with the radio stations, all that stuff. You guys did this for the love. You're not, you guys don't have vacation homes and fancy cars because you were doing freestyle music. You do it because you love to do it. And the same thing that I do. But we'd also like to make a few dollars at it. So, so with the artist, I say this is what the situation this is a scenario. We can work together. You know, look, as you guys know with internet stuff, people can say a lot of things about people, about deals or whatever the case would be. But here's a one constant. I've been doing business with these people for 10, 
15, 20, 25 years now. If I was a bad guy and I treated people badly, then these people would not be doing shows. Yeah, That's I, it. I have the same issue, you know? Yes. And, and yes. everybody had this preconceived notion of who I am and what I am, but there are only a few spots where you can do freestyle shows or people that are putting on small ones. We got Brian Marciniak in Buffalo, New York. We got you in Philly. We got me in Massachusetts. And I can't think of anyone else. Andre Faria may put a small show in New York City. I think that's it that, that I can think of. Maybe uh, what? I mean, I'm sure there's there's some there's, people in tech, some people in Texas, Texas doing yeah. it. This, uh, um, um, I know Tim does shows in, in Chicago, but I know they usually do bigger ones. But I noticed that he does kind of like when we do the Philly thing, they're doing their thing over in Chicago, just like just like you guys do your thing in New England. You know, you guys have yeah. people that are local to you, you so, guys. and So this is the reason why I tell you that freestyle is a lot like pro wrestling. Territories. <laughs> yeah, territories, right? Not a lot of the artists want to travel. They feel that the legends are taking their spot and they refuse to share their limelight, that nobody wants to mentor them. Some of the new school artists, quote unquote, don't want to pay their dues. They don't know what it's like to travel to a radio station to be interviewed. They're not old school like an ED or someone who, you know, wants to travel and put in the work. There's a lot of great comparisons from from uh, pro wrestling to, to freestyle. The biggest one, though, and you missed this one, the bottom line is the draw. Exactly. So yeah. so just like you said, like the old school guys are not taking the new school people's uh, spot, period. Period, period, period. The old school people had it because they have hit songs. They were they are fortunate to be there when this, this thing started, when we were young, and we didn't know any better, and we just loved these songs, and they became ingrained in our souls. Nostalgia. When a new artist comes out and, and they have a hit song, and by the way, it's few and far between, as we know, especially in freestyle, they'll get booked. But the problem is it happens too rarely because of, of the exposure. As far as mentor, you can't expect anyone to mentor just because you're new. What, you have to you scratch each other's back. You tag along. You know, like when we were DJing, you, my guys would carry records, you know, to learn how to mix or put them on. Like, you can't just expect people just to give you something because you think you're the next best thing. And you could be the next best thing. The thing is, if... if if you don't draw, you're not worth shit. Until you can put heads in the building, that's when you can start to demand money. Now, if I come to you and say, hey, Ralph, I'm going to book you for a show to sing your song or whatever. And you're like, well, I live in you know New York City and it's gonna, you know, I, don't, I don't have a car, so it's going to travel or whatever. And So to me, I have to, I have to weigh, is it going to be worth it for me to book this guy? Is he going to be able, can I at least break even with him? And how is he going to, is he going to, is he flexible to work with? Can we, can we do a door split? You know what I'm saying? Like, like anything creative to, to try to make this thing happen where, cause I want to give people, we have hardcore fans that want to see some people, but there's not enough to say to book. Um, I'm going to use Alyssa B for example. If I bring her to Philly now, she's going to cost uh, probably three fifty for a plane. It's going to be a hundred bucks for a hotel travel, you know, get somebody to bring her back and forth to the place. And, and you got to pay her something. So now we're, where, where are we at now? Seven fifty. No one knows her here, man. Right, and that's unfortunate because she's very talented. So if you have her like on a Friday, and I have her on a Saturday or vice versa or whatever, we can work some. When Al from uh, Lemon Tree was doing stuff, Al would book, and he'd be like, "Steve, you want to have this artist in?" Because he was doing Fridays, I was doing Saturdays or one. So he'd be like, "Yeah, you want to? We got Johnny O coming. We got Cynthia. Do you want to piggyback?" Blah blah blah. And that would you know work out stuff. But the thing is, is like a lot of people won't give new people chances, and that's a shame. But you know, until you can, and it doesn't matter if you're a DJ, a comedian, an actor, like uh, you can bring people. You have a job, and if you, the more people you bring, you're going to make money yeah. and then not only that but if you have your own following you can do your own shows because so many bars out there that aren't doing shit that will give you the door and you can take all the money yourself if you're that great put 100 people into our 10 bucks you get a thousand dollars but yeah. see they don't want to do the work but yeah. me i do give me that deal every day you know in my neighborhood i can't come to, to, to new england and do that same deal because 
No one knows me in New England. And now you know why Sal Abatello won't book you because the only way that you're going to get on his stage is you got to go out and sell tickets. And let me ask you this question. Let me ask these you this guys, question. These guys are so proud that they won't go ahead and sell tickets. You know, if I had the opportunity to be on a show with George Lamond and Judy Torres and I had to sell some tickets, you know what? I'm going to all my family members and I'm like, you're buying a ticket, you're buying a ticket, let, you're buying mm -hmm. a ticket, and that's it. Let me pose this question to you. Let's say you had an artist, right? And they said, and Sal said, uh, let's just, we'll just use $1,000. Could be more, could be less, whatever. Yep. Not even tickets. Uh, I will do a five minute stage time for a thousand dollars at I don't know Lehman Center with uh, George Montique, Judy Torres, blah blah blah. But you'll you'll be opening the show. You'll be on the show when it starts. You get five minutes, a thousand dollars, and we'll give you a table. You can sell your CDs or whatever, or, or maybe you can't sell CDs or whatever. But let's say you have the option to do. Do you do it? If I'm a new artist, I'll take it for free. Because that's just the exposure. You, you know, you no, got... no, no. You know, you're paying to play. Or do you want this exposure? I still you take it. You're going to pay the $1,000? I'll take it. Me, it, you, it, and Jose will take it, but most of these artists will not. It costs money to do anything. And if you're going to do anything on a big level, especially in the world that we live in, look, it's so easy to do things now, but it's hard, but it's easy. Yeah, makes sense? Just to say, you know, the only person that's ever done that with me in the 22 years that I've been here that have paid their own concert is Andre Faria. Andre Faria paid the expenses for a show that we did here for our community in Massachusetts. He paid everything. So there are people that take it serious enough to say, yes. oh, I'll take that deal. But he's the only yes. one. And so everybody can say what they want about him. And believe you me, he and I are not on good terms. But you have to respect that kind of hustle. You take all these hot productions people that uh, were out in 1996 and you give them that offer and none of them will take it because they feel that they're legends or the next legends in our music. And they won't come here for, for that particular deal. All these people here won't take that deal if, if Sal give it to them. You pay me $1,000 or you sell tickets or you do this or do that. You know, but Andre took it, but he hustles his ass to make sure that his artists, one, are paid, and two, that, you know, he gets to have his artists on with all the top names. The same thing can be said with a choice for you. Um, there was an opportunity given many years ago by Sal Abatello on who could sell a lot of tickets to be part of the show, and there are some people that sold a lot of tickets and got on the show. Again, you go back to Hot Productions, and many of the artists on here are not going to pay to play. More importantly, they don't have the money, let's be honest. I mean, something you can't, you couldn't do that deal every time out unless you were serious about your career doing. I mean, I can understand the point, but it wasn't just them. And more importantly, I mean, there was a big change. It went to SoundScan. That was really the nail in the coffin for, for freestyle and, and other dance music, but other forms of dance music like house and, and club and now EDM, right? That's the big uh, marketing term. They managed to bounce back. And, and bounce back big or what's going on with freestyle that it hasn't and, and you got to remember that bigger genres have fallen no one ever threw a freestyle is dead concert in a baseball stadium like they did with disco since we've gotten the opinion of the dj and we gotten the opinion of uh the person on the third chair steve mr miami o'neill who not only was a record label and a producer but also a dma magazine contributor for me uh being on the radio all these years and seeing the money that hot productions put out became the reason why freestyle declined and it just kept on getting worse and worse where everything that hot production put out for a long period of time was trash. I can remember listening to Tango and I can remember listening to obscure 
songs from Boca. This is terrible. How did we get from Tasmania Records Volumes 1 through 4, AVP Volume 1, all these good music from Bianca Records and Hot Apple to this shit? And just witnessing the decrease in sales at not only the music center, but the greatest asset that Freestyle ever had in New England, which was Mr. Musica, where people would come from all parts of New England just to go to that store. And in the end, it was a shell of his former self because it trusted Hot Productions to supply them with good quality Freestyle. And it lasted about a year. And then after that, it was just like crazy crappy compilations. And I can't blame them solely on the demise of freestyle in my area because we have to in the future discuss all the record labels that we had in this area and all the djs that had their own little clicks on their own radio stations but i think hot productions because those advances really really were the devil behind the decrease in freestyle not only in new england but anywhere around the world the Freestyle Club. 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 Freestyle News. Welcome back to the Freestyle Feedback segment. And in our last episode, we actually skipped that segment. And I want to apologize for that. You know, our intention is to share the feedback we get every week, whether it's negative or positive. We definitely want to share it with everybody and uh, and appreciate that, that we get that feedback. To that end, we have an out there chair uh, being hosted by Miss Miami, who I believe wrote the most extensive and most probably the most critical feedback to date that we've gotten on the show. So we're going to ask Mr. Miami to stay to discuss his feedback from episode three. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, Steve. So for those that didn't listen to episode three, in episode three, we had uh, Artie Rodriguez come over and he gave his thoughts on the GoFundMe issue. That's where um, Mr. Miami wrote this long dissertation. Now, he made some points. So first, the bashing of Lizette Melendez and the GoFundMe debate. Has anyone tried to reach out to Lizette Melendez on her thoughts and vision of why she went the GoFundMe route? So um, actually, Jose had tried to reach out to her, not only for this show, but for his own show. And I believe, uh, Jose can correct me if I'm wrong, that she said that she would go on to his show once the project was done. Is that correct, Jose? I did uh, get in contact with Lisette Melendez and I did inform her that we were interested in having her come on my radio show, Clubhouse Dance Music Live on 90.7. I also told her that I was looking forward to spitting the song on my show and I got a thumbs up. I followed that up with uh, attempting to contact her with the invitation to still come in and um, promote her song Rise and uh, I got a thumbs up. I, that's what I got here. But th there, were, there were opportunities for her to come on my show. I have asked her previously to come on my show I've, I've asked her even before the freestyle club was ever thought of uh, to come on the show because of the GoFundMe situation that started back in February 23rd of 2018 where you know she started the GoFundMe page so I've been inviting her for a while I'm gonna give Steve a chance to expand on his thoughts about the bashing of, of the GoFundMe uh, did you think we were bashing the artist herself or were we bashing the the process of the GoFundMe or both the, the utilization of the GoFundMe uh, that she was that she decided to utilize that, and um, you know putting her through the ringer, and and like I said I was kind of playing devil's advocate where I, you know I try to look at uh, both sides of the fence, you know there it's very easy especially with the internet and social media to jump to to conclusions. And I'm not saying that what Jose said could be the truth. It, this could end up this. This disaster could happen, and you're going to hear all these horror stories. But I said, you know, my whole thing was like, well, what if that's not the case? Like, we don't, do we really know exactly what 
is going on. And, uh, and that's why I said the Sony reach out to her. And what I meant by that is like, we talked about this way and I, and I didn't even go back ref. We had a, a side conversation. Um, and I, I was saying like, did she use GoFundMe wrong? Meaning was she thinking about using the idea of Kickstarter, which she heard about, you know, people give her money and then they would, she would, they would get a download or a CD and or a video link or whatever the case would be. Did she think that she was using GoFundMe as in that? Like she would just get money and was it ever stated? Like I didn't even go in and look into the whole thing because I'm like, I'm not even getting, I, it doesn't make a difference to me. To me, it's her business. It, 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 it's her business and it's anyone who gave her money's business. Meaning right, yeah. when, when I go by 7-Eleven or I'm at a corner and there's a, there's a homeless person, if I have the money or extra money or if I have cash on me, if I give them a dollar, $10, $20, $5, whatever, I'm generous sometimes like that. Um, it's my prerogative, you know what I'm saying? So it's the same, like, now I understand that the thing is, is that people can get misled, you know, and I do agree with the conversation that you guys had with Artie, where GoFundMe is, is basically used for raising money for families, illnesses, et cetera, et cetera. And not so much for business, but I'm, I'm sure that there has been some business that have been funded through that, which is fine. Again, not our business what you give money you know if you, if you download porn and you pay for it you know you, you know, or, or or you know what i'm saying if you drink alcohol or you smoke pot or whatever you choose just to spend your money on it's your thing now i understand the whole thing with freestyles like you know not just freestyle but entertainment in general or just things in general where you know things go south um or she wasn't clear on certain things like my whole thing was well did they get a copy of the song i mean that's the, that's the most basic one and how was there a, a limit on what they were supposed to give? Or because I don't think GoFundMe has the tiers or rewards as the Kickstarter has. No, it doesn't. No, and, and that and, was the uh, the crux of, of the conversation. It wasn't bashing Lizette as a person, right? I, and I, I never thought I never thought you were doing that. I was just saying right. the whole usage yeah. of the. Well, of the, you know what it is. It's the internet, so you know. Of course, everyone has an agenda. So when they go back to to her or whoever it is that we're talking about for that week, they're gonna say, "Well, they were bashing you." And, yeah. that's oh. not, and that's not the case because they don't take time out to listen to the episode. They're just going sure. by what their friends, quote unquote, friends tell them. And, you know, and, and that's how it's going to come across that, you know, we were bashing her or, or we're bashing the GoFundMe. And, and we were just having a discussion on whether that was the best way of doing it as opposed to going to a Kickstarter. And again, and and if you listen to the first episode, we which I did, said, you know, <laughs> well, everyone else, yeah. right, and, yeah. including Lizette. If, if she's listening to this, we said it's everybody's decision to make, right? Yes. However they want to spend their money is their business. Yes. And we weren't, we weren't for it. We weren't against it. We weren't telling people go donate. We weren't telling people don't donate. Right. We put it up on our show notes so people can look at it and make their own decision. And now I, I believe she's up to 9,000. So, you know, she's almost there. And again, we, we, we haven't stopped people from going there. We haven't discouraged them, but we haven't encouraged them either. It's up to the individual to make that choice. And that's, and that's great that, you know, you, that you don't slant one way or the other. My thing is, and I said, I didn't look into this deeply, but I would assume that uh, the GoFundMe didn't have anything about uh, the, the supporters being reciprocated with some kind of product. The, the promise of a product wasn't put in the description, all in and all out with the Kickstarter. So if she didn't make her go in Kickstarter, she would not got a penny. Right. Exactly. And right. I've, I've run Kickstarters. I've gotten I've gotten some funded and I've I've gotten a few that, that weren't funded for whatever, you know, for whatever reason. So I know what the, the battle is to get it funded and stuff like that. So, I, you know, um, but my whole thing is, is uh, w where I can understand what where CPR was saying was, look, uh, you know, the people that are giving the money could be let down. 
and then they could cause a whole ruckus because you know. But again, nobody held a gun to their head. No one told them to do it. They read. They they obviously read it, or they just wanted to give money to her. And you know, they maybe everyone just under their assumptions that that they're getting it or not getting it or whatever the case may be. And um, you know, they get their hopes up, and then and that's something that she's going to deal with if right. if for some reason they are expecting that and they don't get nothing. That's something that she has to deal with, and and, and I know what CPR is saying like you know it's another you know, mark on freestyle genre. Right. So that brings us back to the second point that you made where you write, quote, I find it funny that the hosts seem to put all freestyle artists, producers, execs in the same boat on certain things. And let's just use the GoFundMe discussion as point of view where CPR knows without a doubt this Lizette GoFundMe is going to explode negatively. Now, before I get your your thoughts on, on your comments, I, I just want to point out something that where, you know, you're I think you're kind of committing the same sin that you're accusing us of where you say that the hosts seem to put all freestyle artists and producers in the same boat. Again, there was three of us on, on that episode, episode one, GoFundMe, and we all had three different points of view. Right? We didn't have the same point of view. Each of us had different variations. CPR had his opinion, I had mine, and Angel Mana had his. We didn't all say the same thing. Hold on, I could have misspoke. And then I just, then I'm gonna, I want to put all the blame on CPR. Next. There you go. That's, <laughs> that's what I want. I have this big pet peeve when it comes to our music, and that is the fleecing of our audience. I have an issue with when people use a medium like GoFundMe for personal gain instead of helping someone who's in need. If, if a new school freestyle artist were to do the same thing that Lisette Melendez uh, has done, they would get lambasted. First off, no one would give them any money. That's pretty much what happened. Yeah. Yeah. They, but they will be lambasted, <laughs> they will be ridiculed, they will be made fun of. But because this is Lisa Belendez, one of the greatest freestyle artists of all time, she gets a pass. And so I have been approached by her various times on my personal messenger on social media to donate to her cause. So she didn't ask for money directly, but she kept on sending the link for me to donate to her cause. So it's something that irks me a little bit because of the fact that the song's already done. The video has, has already been produced. Here we are. And she sends me the link to donate and keep donating to the GoFundMe page. It kind of irks me that that's still going on when the project is already done and she can go ahead and collect the $9,000, but she really wants that 10000 Now, previously, there was another artist that did a GoFundMe page and they did it correctly. Uh, they had a family member that was ill and suffering from uh, multiple sclerosis, and that is Niasia. She did a GoFundMe for her son and they gave her a hard time. They said that she was going to take that money for herself. They said that she was going to pocket that money. This happened back in 2016. Here we are, 2018 and we're pacifying Lisa Melendez going on social media and asking people to donate to her. And yeah, it is your prerogative if you want to donate or not. But I keep getting the messages from her saying donate and donate to my cause. I received it this past Saturday and the project is done. I get tired of people fleecing the audience. Yeah, there are a lot of donators that have donated to her cause and, and to them, I commend them. But then there are some people that don't know better that are taken advantage of. And so, you know, we do have to put perimeters and we do have to ask questions. The song is done. The, the video is done. So why are we still giving you money? Why are we still right. trying to raise the $10,000? So I want to give Steve a chance to respond because, you know, it, it was his uh, feedback that I want to discuss. So go ahead, Steve. Just give us, you know, what your train of thought was when you wrote that. I, I appreciate uh, the, the additional commentary you provided, CPR. Uh, and I and I think that like here's the issue is is that there's not there's not a full disclosure 
on what you're doing with it, and that's what's that's what's bothering you. And and it would be the right thing, business practice wise, to come up and to and to publish that so everyone knows what's what. Um, I was, I'm sure, uh, Naija did in the unfortunate case with, with her son of, of you know having to say what was going on and where, where the money was going or, or, or vice versa. I, I didn't see that back then, but I can only imagine you know the stress of the family to go through. So the thing is, is who are we? Who is anyone? Like again. We don't have, no one has to do anything. So should she have given disclosure? Probably, you know, it would be nice to have, but she doesn't have to. It's her business. Now, as far as her to keep trying to raise money, again, this is the problem with her not coming into the conversation. And maybe she's not coming into the conversation because we're kind of, even by talking about it, is kind of promoting it to put eyeballs on it. But, you know, like, who knows what the situation is, what she's using the money for. Maybe she's using it as a recoupment. Maybe she's going to be using that money to put towards promotion because, you know, we know that, you know, X is, it costs X to produce this or everything's various pricing. Maybe she, maybe she didn't pay nothing for anything and maybe she's using the money to promote it. Maybe she's not, maybe she's, maybe she's doing what you said. Maybe she's taking the money. And that's the point. Know. That's the point, Steve. There's a lot of maybes. And, yeah, but and, that's and like I said, but this all is going to come back on her. And like I said, I understand. And that's my point that you know eventually, you know, just like everything that we do in freestyle, somebody's going to call her to the table, and they're going to be asking all these questions, you know, on social media or. And, that, and the thing is, she has the freedom to answer or not answer. It's her business. And like I said, uh, it, it, it's like anything, dude. Like you know, everybody can say whatever they want. But and like I said, I'm not saying that it's right. But I'm not saying it's wrong either, because like right, I said, so, I'm not giving money to her. You're not giving money to her. He's not, you know, a well, I did. Money. I did purchase the single. I did pay the ten dollars to to buy the single, okay. and I would have done that whether she raised the funds or not, because I love her music and I am a big fan of Lisa Melendez. I have all her projects on vinyl and CD. I'm a collector, and uh, this is not a personal attack on her. It's just no. Uh, it's just no, ca- like, accountability there, is important the, to me. Accountability and disclosure, <laughs> especially like when you're doing something like this. So it's going to come back if she doesn't do the right thing or which whatever that may be in each supporter's mind then she's gonna have to deal with that and the time comes does it put a, a, a mark on freestyle yeah but i say this like this i don't really know you personally i don't know raf personally and you guys don't know me so people can say whatever they want about all three of us right but the people that know me know me you know what i'm saying so because but you can't control and that's the that's what i hate about social media is you can't control what people say about you you know once right. it's out there it's out there so you, it, it never can be taken back so we and unfortunately like i said we don't know what her true intentions are. She's not saying anything. So it's like, a, it, it's the freedom to do, whether it's her or the supporters, to give money, not give money, to do whatever. Would it be nice to have a disclosure? Absolutely. So people get, you know, they get their product and they don't feel like they're getting fleece, you know? And if they do get fleece, it's an unfortunate situation, but again, no one forcing them to give money. And dude, you could be 100% right. And if it turns out you are right, I'll be more than happy to come back on the show and say, Jose. I don't want to. I, I don't want to be I, I, right because you know, like I, I know when, you I know when you it comes to our music, we always have that negative cloud. There was a certain time when you have a freestyle show, then the next day somebody would go on social media to trash it. Remember that, Ralph? You know, every yeah. time, every time there was a freestyle show, the next day somebody would say something negative, and they'll they'll they have a different account of what happened yeah, that wait, night. But, but but part of it too was people were writing reviews of the event that didn't even go to the event, so they were basing oh, their yes. opinion on someone else's opinion, which social media. Yeah, he, right, that's social yeah. media. And it goes back to the you know, communication being open. Like I said in the first episode, we don't know what her plans are because right. she has them made the, that part of it clear. You know, it, it could be something's wrong or it could be that she's just not communicating it, you know, her plans openly, right? It, it could be that she's she's waiting to get the money to pay everybody off 
on, on that, right? Because there's right. such thing as consignment where, you know, you get it and then you pay once you get the money. So yep. it could be that. It could be other things. But more importantly, it, this is the, what it comes down to. This is not unique to freestyle, right? Because Kickstarter is not bulletproof against scams and other shady dealings. And again, I have to repeat this. I'm not saying that that's what's going on. If anyone that's been paying attention to Kickstarter knows Star Citizen raised $185 million, and six years later, we still don't have a game. This is going to be great. It's been a long time since we got a good space sim. And Chris Roberts is back on board for this one, and he's been saving up all his ideas for this. I'm definitely on board. This is a man who knows how to make some great games. Go ahead and take my $30. Two years, that seems kind of early, but I'm sure it'll be great. So this is two separate games now. This website layout is terrible for new people. Is it a game package? Does Fly Now mean playing the game? Or is this subscription based? Do I have to buy Squadron 42 separately? Why are all the game packages ships? Oh my god, these prices. $15,000? What's happening? Well, I guess people are buying this. Why is everyone buying this? What's the deal with Star Citizen? <laughs> This yeah, is not just freestyle, right? This is when you go the crowdfunding way. So what happens? You have people like uh, Chris Roberts that's on the fire. You have games like Elite Dangerous. You have games like No Man's Sky, where they go this crowdfunding source way. It leaves a bad taste in people's mouths. So when the next person comes up with a good idea, people hesitate to back it. And that's what happens in freestyle. That's what, uh, you know, what Jose has been saying all along. That's what happens in freestyle when something goes bad here and there and it just continues to happen. Less and less people are interested in investing in anything freestyle. The same thing with the gaming community. Less and less people are inclined to fund anything new because they've already been burned in the past. I'm still waiting to fly my ship, you know, or <laughs> Star Citizen, get into the ship. I could do things, but I can't play, you know, the way it was intended to be played when it started six years ago. In closing on the feedback portion of this part of the podcast, you know, my intent is for Lisette Melendez to come on the Freestyle Club or TPR's Clubhouse or Clubhouse Dance Music and just have a conversation with us. I'm not trying to attack her. I don't want to attack her. I'm not going to attack her. I just want some, some clarity and some information if she chooses to want to do that if not then i bought your 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 song i'm gonna play it i'm gonna continue promoting it uh because you know that's what we do with good music and i wish her nothing but the best and i hope that it continues to be a positive thing for her and we'll see what happens from here man i, I like this new cpr <laughs> subscribe to the freestyle club podcast the unknown admin.com and cprsmusic.com so let's get back to uh, the third chair with Steve. And now let's focus on him. I love the freestyle is not dead series. When good, because I'm, I'm canceling it. So. Oh, <laughs> well, there goes my question. I'm like, when are we going to no, no, get uh, more? I'm actually going to change the, uh, the name of the podcast, actually. Uh, um, I, the the, the Freestyle love... Club Part 2, Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> hey man that was a great movie um i've always liked the freestyle is not dead because I, you know everyone was always saying that and i thought it was a catchy thing and that was something we did um was my podcast i did when when um dj dansky was uh running latif's uh la radio so it was it was that was where it started at and i liked the title i wanted something that was going to stand on its own and I, I got the imaging done from on my own and all that stuff and i liked it but i hate i hate always having the title with the word not in there i like the freestyle philly connection no, no, I don't want to do that either because I don't, I don't want to be just pigeonholed in my area. So actually, I have something even better, 
something that I've been using to promote my shows. And it was actually done dual purposes because I had a feeling eventually I would like to do, I'm not, I'm not going to do exactly what you guys do. I'm, I'm going to do kind of what I do where I'm playing music and I'm going to do interviews and, and, you know, different format than this, but freestyle, like, and, and play all kinds of stuff where, um, you have your classic stuff, you have your new school stuff. You have stuff that like, like pop artists, like, like you played LaBouche last week, like that, like stuff like that, where it's like hybrid stuff, where it's not national city freestyle artists, but these songs are freestyle where if the style keeps evolving, it should be around this area. Because I, to me, I have a problem with a lot of the stuff that's come out over the last 10, 15 years. I just don't think it's groundbreaking. I think a lot of producers and artists have mastered the 1991, 92 sounds of freestyle. I just, there's not a lot. Um, and I'm not exposed. I don't listen to it a lot. I, I, I'll, I will admit that. And when there's a good song, I did like the legendary. I thought that was a good song. They're few and far between. I think the last one I, that caught my attention a while back was, uh, I think a guy's name was Frankie Boy. Is that his name? Yes, Frankie Boy. Um, yeah, that that record was good. Sounds like George. It sounds like George Mon Jr. It's actually um, it's actually Frankie J. Who was Frankie Boy? But uh, he he did come out with something new recently. This should be played at high volume, high volume, preferably, preferably in a residential area. Anyway, with the, with the podcast, I want to. Uh, I think I'm going to change it to free, the freestyle music show. It says what it is. You know, what I'm saying it's a free, so I can use it for the live shows. I can use it for the podcast. So I want to. I want to go back to the imaging guy and get some imaging done. And uh, I'm probably going to rebrand it as that and launch that hopefully soon with the help of Raf, <laughs> <laughs> the go-to guy. This is the Freestyle Club Pick Hit of the Week. Welcome to the Pick Hit of the Week. And as you well know, uh, we go to the panel to find out what song the panel recommends. And right now, turning the page is the unknown admin, Rafael Reyes. All right, so my pick is Audie Medina Lost by Brad Walshaw, Rock Solid Entertainment.
on the third chair, Mr. DMA himself, Steve, Mr. Mabby O'Neill. What is your pick of the week? Okay, uh, so it's not necessarily a freestyle artist, but it's. I feel that this song is like a hybrid freestyle song. You may or may disagree or agree. Uh, no Tears Left to Cry by uh, Ariana Grande. Oh, Brad, Raph, you're so excited about that. Is that third chair? I don't know. It's, 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 it, listen to the song. Go back and listen. Will, it, 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 it's like a hybrid freestyle track. Well, my pick of the week is none other than Lisette Melendez, Rise. I got an opportunity to listen to the entire song and the various versions. And let me say, we have uh, so many good things to talk about when it comes to the song. It's empowering, especially to women. And uh, it's also uh, a song produced by the Santana Twins, Charlie Baby, Tim Spinning Shomer. Uh, there's a lot of great versions of the song on here. There are actually 11 versions on the single available right now on your digital distribution sites and uh, right now we're gonna go with the pick hit of the week my pick Lisette Melendez rise That about wraps it up for this edition of the Freestyle Club. Unknown Admin, where can they catch you? They can find me at theunknownadmin.com and by my pool enjoying the last days of summer. Steve, Mr. Miami O'Neill, where can they find you? And do you have any closing comments? Uh, closing comments. First thing, put your money where your mouth is, people. Two, do the work. And three, worry about yourself. Freestylemusicshow.com. And if you're on Facebook, just uh, put in Steve O'Neill or DJ Mr. Miami, and let's be friends. Why can't oh. we be friends? <laughs> Why can't we be friends? I'm CPR Jose Ortiz, and you can find me at CPRSmusic.com, and of course, live on 90.7 FM in Western Massachusetts and Connecticut. Peace, love, and freestyle.